0: I'm Tess, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. It took me about a month.
1: One month after reading financial blogs and books, listening to podcasts, the equation is utterly simple. Make more money than you spend and then invest the rest in one to three low-cost index funds. Investing in the stock market, that great big black box, isn't opaque after all. It is simple and easy. When it comes to wealth accumulation, at least, it takes little time to learn and understand just as much as any financial advisor. Yet, now as a podcaster who has spoken to thousands about their finances, I now realize it is rarely just an issue of knowledge. What's hard isn't not knowing how to accumulate wealth or what to invest in. What's hard is having the courage, will, and fortitude to do it. When it comes to money accumulation, most of us don't need a teacher or even an advisor what we need is a coach. Tess is a financial coach who helps women in their 30s and 40s take control of their money using simple investing strategies. She's the founder and CEO of Wealth with Tess, where she provides financial education courses, workshops, and personalized coaching. Tess, welcome to Earn and Invest. Was I oversimplifying in the intro? Is investing
0: difficult? Doc, that's a loaded question. I don't think that actual investing, learning enough to choose your investments, like you said, you know, choosing between one or three index funds, that part isn't necessarily difficult. It feels difficult, but it's not actually that difficult once you learn the language, once you understand the vocabulary, and once you start to dismantle maybe some limiting beliefs you've had that investing is this really complex thing, because it certainly feels that way. And that's certainly what we hear about. So- Loaded question right off the bat. I'll say that's not necessarily difficult, but there are other pieces of it that are very difficult. And I actually think the managing of your money to be able to have enough money to be thoughtfully investing can be the harder part than actually choosing your investments.
1: Let's talk about the managing of your money and specifically your story, because you were not always as good as you are today. Am I correct that you had $80,000 in bad debt in your 20s? Tell us the story of what happened there.
0: Yeah, so it wasn't necessarily that it was bad debt, but it was money that I lost by making poor investments. So fortunately, I had had some money and I made some money Early on in my 20s, I actually worked on cruise ships, so I was able to save a lot of money because on the cruise ship, you have no expenses, your accommodations are paid for, your food is paid for. So when I I graduated into a recession in, in 2009, I wasn't able to find a traditional job. So I ended up in this strange job on cruise ships, but uniquely, it gave me this opportunity to save a lot of money. Let me interrupt you for a second. What did you do on sure. the cruise ship? I was an aerial acrobat. Uh, I did high diving and aerial acrobatics for kind of like a Cirque du Soleil type show.
1: Oh, that I didn't expect that. Is it scary? Because I always watch those. I go to
0: Cirque du Soleil and it it
1: (laughs) freaks me out a little bit because I watch them doing their stuff that high and it, it makes me anxious.
0: You know, it wasn't that scary for me because I had done competitive dive. I was a diver throughout high school. And the reason I was able to go to college and afford it was because I had a, a full scholarship for diving. So I had done competitive springboard and platform diving. So it that part wasn't as scary. What was scary is that cruise ships move <laughs> and they are on the ocean. So Sometimes when you are doing flips and tricks and the actual platform that you are on is moving with the waves of the ocean, that was scary. So, you know, there was definitely a lot of planning and careful, careful changes based on weather. But I will say that a lot of people got injured and I did get some hazard pay, which was great because I, you know, wanted the extra money, but also like a little bit nerve wracking that they were giving me more money (laughs) because it was dangerous.
1: (laughs) So you graduated in a recession, you grabbed this amazing job. So you're actually able to accumulate money where a lot of your peers probably wouldn't have been able to do that, but you made some core money choices. Tell us about those choices.
0: Yeah. So once I had that, the, the right choices I made were taking advantage of that cruise ship opportunity. So I'm on the ship and I'm thinking, great, this is my opportunity to save a lot of money. You know, my biological parents had been married nine times collectively. So for me, the idea of having enough money and taking care of myself was so important early on because I had seen that, you know, no one can guarantee your financial future. You have to be the one to take care of that. That's what I learned through all those through all those divorces. Mm -hmm. So once I had I had gone through that, I was on the ship. I thought, great, this is opportunity for me to save money. So that part I did right. Right. After that, the part that I didn't do so well was was two things. One, I hired a financial advisor, somebody I knew, a fiduciary, and I gave them all the money I had saved and just kind of said, make it be more. And I didn't really ask many questions. I didn't really understand the fee structures. And I, I gave them money for a while, for years, and wasn't really paying attention to it. And then the other thing I did to lose some money was I invested in my first real estate investment property at that time and just learned a lot through that process, didn't get a proper inspection, had to spend thousands and thousands of dollars on repairs I didn't know existed. So all in, it was in a very short amount of time, $80,000 between financial advisor fees that were extraordinarily high and we happy to elaborate on, on how. I was invested in an annuity that was, I'll, I'll use in quotes, invested. I was sold an annuity uh, at the age of 26, that uh, a product that was better suited for somebody in their late 50s. And since then, I've talked to other personal finance experts that really feel strongly that that was a pretty criminal thing to do to somebody my age, really inappropriate investment. And you know, I put tens of thousands of dollars in that, $30,000 that I cannot get out, that there's no surrender charge, and that I have zero access to isn't growing in the stock market. So it was a lot of different things that contributed to that number, but that's the rough amount I calculated in poor decisions. That doesn't include what that money could have compounded to if it was invested in the stock market. So I try not to think about it too much.
1: Did you grow up with any good financial models? I mean, you said that your biologic parents had been married many, many times. Did they model any good behavior for you or did you grow up knowing about money?
0: So my stepdad modeled great behavior when it came to saving money, delayed gratification, making sure that. I was thoughtful in terms of what to spend on and and the choices, you know, the opportunity cost of making this choice versus another one. So, he taught me a lot, but he was very conservative. Was very nervous when I made my first real estate investment and so I didn't learn a lot about the importance of investing. I learned the importance of saving and and how to do that, but I didn't learn about investing and that's where My money story kind of went off the rails is when I felt like I was too stupid to do it myself. And so I just hired somebody else and didn't pay attention to what they were doing. And that was a huge mistake.
1: What was the turning point for you? So obviously you got in with some people who were not looking up out for your best interests. You made some financial mistakes. How did you turn it around?
0: So once I invested in real estate, actually, and I made a bunch of mistakes, I started to pay more attention to the numbers on that property, like what the actual return on that investment was. And I think through that process, I started to think more seriously about my why. Like, what did I want to invest for? Was that just for retirement? Was there an opportunity for me to invest more aggressively and potentially retire earlier? And that's kind of around the time that I started to learn about the FIRE concept, financial independence, retire early. And so around that time, I started looking more into the returns on what I had given the financial advisor. Now, I do want to add that this financial advisor wasn't like some random person. This is somebody I knew for a long time, like really trusted, like of somebody I considered a friend. They were a little older than me, but that was honestly probably the worst part because while I think this person wasn't necessarily intentionally making these decisions, I think the industry itself and the way that some financial advisors are taught and compensated doesn't necessarily lend itself to acting in the customer's best best interests.
1: Do you think they know, though? Like, I really wonder about this. And I have to admit, I I had a financial advisor who I actually liked very much who was a friend. But I remember having an inkling when he's like, well, I would never put your money into anything that at least I have a little bit of money in. And it was the way he said, at least I have a little money in, which made me start thinking long term. Now I look back at it as I think he was probably mostly in index funds and then would take like one or two percent of his portfolio and put that in what he had all his clients in. Right. So do you think he knew better?
0: I don't know. I've thought about this a lot. I am a a positive person and I try to find the best in people. So I, I've thought about this a lot and I and I like to think that her intentions were good i don't i really don't think i think i don't think she did now that now that i'm saying this, this is like a tough question for me to answer because we had history before it and i try to i try to be as neutral as possible i don't want to say like everyone's out to get you and this is all intentional i think she might have had some idea but i genuinely think somewhere she really believed that 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 annuity made sense for me like had some way of justifying it in terms of you know, having some consistent income in retirement, and the way that maybe she was taught, like almost brainwashed her into believing that this was a good investment. So I don't know. I I guess I will say I actually do believe that there is some brainwashing in terms of like selling people products that they don't need. There's always a way to position something in in such a way that it can feel like a positive or advantageous for your future, and it's not. So I would say maybe in there's in her subconscious she did, but. I I have to believe that there is just some massive brainwashing in terms of like what is actually a good investment going on in that industry, you know, because there's so many people selling people products that they don't necessarily need. Um, So I hope that's true. I hope it's not just a bunch of people selling every knowingly selling all this stuff. You know, a lot of these people are trying to make money to provide for their families. Right. So, you know, that's my hope. I, I hope it's not as, as, I don't know, as dire as that, where there's that many people intentionally making these poor choices on their client's behalf.
1: Tell me about how that affected your decision eventually to do what you're doing today. Specifically, we're really drawing the line today about the difference between a financial advisor and a financial coach. And so I could have seen you go in two different directions here. As you went through this process, as you questioned this person who was supposed to be helping you, as you started thinking about this brainwashing, you could have said, I'm going to become a financial advisor and do better for people. But instead, you became a financial coach. Tell me a little bit about your thinking. Did you think specifically about that as you were looking at your career?
0: I did. About the time I started to have a better handle of that real estate investment, my my first single family that I invested in was the same time I started to pay more attention to the investments that I had with this financial advisor. And Thankfully, I picked up a book around that time too. It was Tony Robbins' Money Master: The Game. I'll never forget, and that book was very easy to read. I, I don't, I'm not like a huge Tony Robbins fan. I can't even tell you how this book ended up in my orbit. And so, once I I, I read the whole thing in three days, I was, and it's a pretty big book. If you see, I think it's maybe I don't know three or four hundred pages. It's not super short, and that book I thought did such a good job of laying out how simple investing can be, and also how impactful these fees can be over time, and alternative solutions to working with financials. They talk about fl- flat fee financial advisors that you know can charge very transparently a flat fee amount rather than a percentage assets under management. And I went deep. like I, I pulled up some compound interest calculators and started doing this math side by side. And even if you paid... You know, thousands of dollars in flat fees every year. That's probably less than a percentage fee over time to a financial advisor that's charging assets under management. So back to your question about why I chose to be a financial coach is reading that book made me feel like there was this gap between when people are deciding that they're ready to invest and they want to start investing, but they don't know where to start, and financial advisors. Because you can't possibly choose a good financial advisor if you don't have a basic financial education, just like I didn't have, right? I didn't know the basics of investing. I didn't know that it could be easy. I didn't even know that index funds were an option. That wasn't like a term that I had heard growing up anywhere when I was deciding that I wanted to do something, because for me, this whole thing is very mission driven. Like I feel morally obligated to share my story because it was wholly avoidable with a very small amount of education. Like that one book, really, like if everyone read that one book, they'd have a much better understanding of what they need and how to get started investing. And so for me, that is why I chose to be a financial coach, because I want to I wanna serve the gap between I'm ready to invest and I'm just gonna give my money to a financial advisor because I'm I'm not saying that all financial advisors are bad and I definitely think that people can learn how to invest on their own, but either way, you should have the opportunity to build enough knowledge to make that decision for yourself. So I would say with the people that I work with, most of them decide to invest on their own and if they have a challenging situation, they'll consult a flat fee planner. But some of them do choose to stay with a financial advisor full time. And that's fine because now they can vet them properly and make sure they're working with somebody that's acting in their best interest. So that's why I decided to become a financial coach because I want to help people make that decision for themselves from a place of being informed versus just complete, you know, complete misunderstanding.
1: So I feel like there are financial coaches who obviously provide some planning and advice, and then there are financial advisors who obviously do some coaching. What's the difference? What's the line you draw between what a financial coach does and what a financial advisor does?
0: It's a tough question because what a financial advisor does can vary so much. So I'll answer this by starting over there, right? Because there's so many different types of financial advisors. Some financial advisors are just going to take your money and put it into some funds and not really pay attention to it. And that's that's not a great financial advisor. But there are some great advisors that will educate, that will help you come up with a plan. So from my perspective, a financial coach is really an educator. And the line ends... In the fact that I'm not going to tell you what to do, I can coach you on different options. I can share information. I can help you build knowledge. I can help you build confidence that you can learn how to invest on your own, that you can control your money, and also really motivate you on the possibilities, right? Like a lot of what I do is inspire people to believe that they can turn their financial life around, that they can actually retire comfortably, that they might already have enough money already. I do a lot of that. <laughs> I have a lot of women join my programs and they have they're already investing with a financial advisor and they don't feel comfortable with their future because they don't really have a sense of what that money means and what opportunities it's going to afford them in the future. So for me, a financial coach is really an educator and a motivator and somebody that can help you get on the right track with your finances and fast track where you're going by educating you and by helping you make better decisions. But they don't make the decisions for you. And that's where I think sometimes financial advisors can be detrimental in the sense that they're not educating you on your options necessarily. They're telling you what to do rather than saying, here are some of the options out there for you. Let's build your knowledge so that you can decide how you want to invest, so that you can create a simple portfolio, so that you can decide how much money you want to be investing depending on your retirement goals or your short-term goals or whatever it might be. So that to me is the difference. Now, there's a ton of overlap. Like I said, there's some. I, there are some financial advisors that are awesome, particularly flat fee advisors. There's one woman that I send tons of people to, and she does a ton of educating, and she is really good at mapping out plans, making sure her clients totally understand all of their options. So, it's not necessarily that financial advisors can't act as financial coaches, but a lot of times they're not incentivized to do so. You know, they don't make money by coaching you. Whereas, like, my motivation is very clear. Like, yes, of course, I run a business, I want to make money and support myself. But I also really want to, more than anything, make sure you have enough knowledge to feel good about what decisions you're making rather than telling you what decisions you're making. And that is so incredibly empowering for other areas of your life, too. So that, I think, is a little bit of the difference there.
1: There are a lot of failings of the financial advice community. We know about this, right? This A lot of this brainwashing, et cetera, that you were talking about. The one thing they're good at is this idea of compliance, right? Their regulations, their accreditations, et cetera. Talk about how that stands for a financial coach. Because I know for sure, being in the FIRE movement especially, I know some people who wrote FIRE blogs forever and all of a sudden they became financial coaches. Tell me about certifications. Tell me about formal education. What, in your opinion, makes someone a financial
0: coach? It's a great question because there definitely isn't any kind of standardization when it comes to financial coaches. And there are lots of people that have different certifications. I'll be really candid and say I don't have a very specific, I've read a lot of the books for CFP. I've done a lot of my own education for many years. I've worked with a lot of financial advisors to learn what I can, but I don't have any kind of formal accreditation because none of them are really interesting to me. And quite honestly, I don't want to go the CFP route because I want to be able to openly share information. Whereas, it gets a lot harder once you're a financial advisor. There are so many regulations on what you can share and. A little sidebar here. I was on a panel at a conference with two financial advisors and myself. And there were so many questions from the audience that they couldn't answer. And we're all good friends. So they punted it to me and they'll be they would say something, you know, like, We can't answer that question, you know, but Tess can. And then I would actually be able to provide an answer because I'm not trying to sell them products or choose securities for them. So that is one. Really nice thing about being a financial coach. But back to your questions about certifications, there's no standard certification for coaches. But what I will say is that if you are somebody that's looking for someone or you know someone that's looking for someone, you want to find people that aren't drawing really hard lines in the sand and saying, this is the only way. Like most of the red flag financial coaches I've seen are people that say things like, this is the only way to invest or like, all insurance products are bad, you know, like really hard lines in the sand. That's a big red flag to me. Additionally, the scope of what they're teaching, like I'm really clear on the scope of what you're going to learn. Like you're going to learn about different retirement accounts so you can save on taxes and how to start creating your own index fund portfolio. And that's like the scope. So understanding the scope of the what the financial coach is doing is really important because That's how you're going to find somebody that's going to be good for you. But it is, it is tough out there. Like there isn't any certification. So I would ask, I would interview somebody if I was looking for a financial coach. I would ask them, like, what are your opinions on certain things? And if they have like really strong line in the sand opinions, that's a red flag. Always get referrals for anything like that from other people. I would talk to, I would ask to talk to three to four people they've worked with in the past, ask for specific results, just like you would do for anybody else. So, I do think it's super important to do your due diligence, and also then even if you are working with a coach, make sure if they if they provide information, like vet that information yourself. That's one great thing that a coach can provide is information on what you need to dig in more yourself. So I do think there's a responsibility to the consumer to make sure that if you are going the coach route, it can be awesome and you can learn a lot, you know. But if you're at a point where you're making really technical decisions or you're you still have questions. You need to make sure you find the right professionals to help you with that, especially if your situation is complicated.
1: With financial advisors, we talk about the fiduciary standard, but that kind of makes sense, right? Because they're talking about products that they're suggesting that you buy. Is there any equivalent when it comes to coaching? And would you even use the word like fiduciary when you're discussing your coaching clients?
0: I don't use the word fiduciary. And quite frankly, given my my situation, I was working with a fiduciary that made a bunch of decisions on my behalf. And I tried to flag the port, like the the products that I were sold were absolute garbage, horribly inappropriate for someone my age, should never have happened. This person was a fiduciary. I tried all routes to get my money out. And this person is still practicing, right? So the fiduciary standard sounds nice in theory. But from my perspective, I haven't seen a lot of people held accountable to that fiduciary standard. And by a lot, I've seen zero, especially with the amount of clients that I've had and women come through my coaching programs that have showed up with money invested with a financial advisor and it's in a target date index fund <laughs> or it's you know not invested for years. There was a woman that I just talked to that had three accounts with a financial advisor. One was a Roth. It hasn't been invested for 10 years sitting in cash. She had no idea. That person isn't going to be held accountable. so besides my rant about fiduciary being a term that I don't think is 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 I is idealistic but not actually helpful in the sense that nobody's actually like holding people accountable to that standard proactively. I think in the in the coaching world, there isn't necessarily a term like fiduciary that is the same, but again, I would say if you're looking for somebody, it does come down to vetting and understanding. And also, like, if I hear a coach say, I'm not totally sure about that, I'd recommend checking with this. Like, That's a green flag, right? Because this is such a huge topic. Not every coach knows everything there is to know about personal finance. So I would say that when you're looking into this stuff, there isn't necessarily a standard yet. I hope there is some decent standard in the future, but there's not right now. So it really is important as a consumer to look for those green and red flags when you're looking to work with someone.
1: One of the things that that becomes apparent when you're thinking about this fiduciary status is what we really get tripped up, especially with financial advisors, is how they're being paid, right? So this person you worked with probably got paid to sell you an annuity. Even if you're in the assets under management system, these people are still then, in a sense, make more money by convincing you, for instance, don't put your money in real estate, make sure you put it in the stock market with me. So there, there obviously is some personal gain Talk to me about how financial coaches get paid, because I think this is this might, in a sense, relieve some of the problems people at least get into trouble with with financial advisors.
0: Yeah, it's a great point. So as, as I, th- I think most of this audience probably knows, most financial advisors charge assets under management. So that's a percentage of the assets that you're investing with them. Some of them I have heard charge net worth by net worth which actually does help a little bit with the conflict of interest because I have heard of situations where you know clients have money in real estate and in their investments and the financial advisor is not incentivized to help them withdraw from their investments because then they're making less money. So you know assets under management, there's tons of conflicts of interest there, no matter how how you slice that with financial coaches they get paid in a variety of ways, but there's three models that I see most common. The first one is through an online program that they've created and they sell. So usually it's just like a, a course membership fee that could be like monthly or just like a one-time fee. There are coaches that do small group programs that usually have some kind of resources connected to them. But again, it's a usually a flat fee for joining the group coaching program. And then there's more personalized one-on-one coaching where somebody might go deeper in terms of your specific situation, day to day, how much money you're spending, how much you have available to invest, what types of stuff to invest in. But at the end of the day, there's no we we are all incentivized to make sure you're successful because if you're not, word of mouth is super important for referrals and whatnot. Uh, but no financial coach makes money depending on how much you invest. We don't make money in terms of you know, how much you're saving, like it's not really tied to the outcome. It's tied to the level of education that that we're providing. So there is certainly less of a conflict of interest. Now, of course, there's not all financial coaches are going to be amazing. And and some of them are going to probably spend less time educating you on on what's really important or not have programs that are as helpful. But I would say one key outcome that at least for me, that I really focus on is I want everybody to have actionable outcomes at the end of our time working together, like specific things. And if they don't, I will give them their money back. And And I say that because, again, for me, this is mission-driven. The whole point of of what I'm doing is trying to educate women to feel more confident with their money and to take action, like not just to sit around and do money affirmations. And, and I think that's also a red flag, right? <laughs> if you're working with a financial coach that... Wants to talk about like calling more money into your life and, you know, saying money affirmations. I'm grateful for what I have. Money flows to me easily. Like that stuff's all great. But if you don't actually take action, that doesn't matter. (laughs) So got a little bit off track here. But at the end of the day, finance coaches are mostly compensated just by the level of education they're providing to you and the different ways it's administered.
1: We are talking with Tess. She is the founder and CEO of Wealth with Tess, where she provides financial education courses, workshops, and personalized coaching. And we are talking about the difference between financial advising and financial coaching. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. USA.com. That's landroverusa.com. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash earn. That is linkedin.com slash E-A-R-N for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash earn and get started. We are back with Tess. She is a financial coach who helps women in their 30s and 40s take control of their money using simple investing strategies. Tess, let's talk about your coaching itself. Why women? Why people in their 30s and 40s? How did you decide on these populations?
0: So I became very interested in helping women understand their money situations and also helping women earn more money when I was working in corporate. So I worked for a long time for a global marketing agency. I worked my way up through the ranks, and I became a VP of operations. and through that experience, I managed a lot of women. It was a largely, it was mostly women, the organization majority women. And through that experience, through meeting other women in different positions, I started to notice, one, that even in a majority women organization, that a lot of women were afraid to negotiate their salary. A lot were underpaid. I had I had a knack for trying to understand where people were at, probably a little nosy. But a lot of that was because I knew that some people were being underpaid, and it really bothered me, and they weren't fighting for it either, even if they were super talented. And so that brought me down the rabbit hole of you know gender pay equity and how many women don't negotiate. And that's kind of where this whole thing started for me because I started to uncover anecdotally in my small orbit and then through talking to a lot of other women and going down this rabbit hole that the gender wealth gap, it starts with the pay discrepancies, but that's not where it ends. So when I followed this rabbit hole, it started with realizing how many women around me were super talented and underpaid. And then as I thought about it more and dug in more, then I realized this was around the same time that I was learning about how my money was not working for me, how I had missed out on big returns in the market. I was getting horrible returns with my financial advisor. I was invested super conservatively in high fee funds, all this stuff. So I started to figure out that the returns on my own money were less than they should have been, especially for somebody my age. So then I'm starting to think and I'm like, okay, well, women are making less. And then we're investing less because we're more risk averse. So historically speaking, women have put more money in cash and then we have less wealth. So it's a problem because it perpetuates on itself. If we're not making as much money and we're nervous to invest, then we're investing way less than we should for retirement. And then women are living longer. So they're likely to outlive their partners. Women getting divorced. One, I think it's like one in five women end up in poverty because of that. So there's just less and there's less financial literacy. Women are less confident when it comes to money. So they're more likely to find a professional, which unfortunately should be an easy thing. It should be easy to go find a professional to manage your money that you can trust. But it's not because the standards aren't where they need to be. So that's that's the whole rabbit hole of why I wanted to focus on women, because to me, it's it seemed like an underserved population. And then when it comes to women in their 30s and 40s, that population is important to me because that's kind of, in my opinion, that is the time to start to figure it out to make sure that you can retire comfortably. Like Once you're in your 50s, it gets a lot harder. But you're if you're in your 30s and 40s and you really buckle down and you make some changes, you can drastically change the director- trajectory of your financial future in three to five years. But once you get past that, it gets a lot more tricky. And so what i found was a lot of women in their 30s and 40s feel like they're so far behind that they don't even want to start they're like oh I, I you know i'm already past the the time that i'm going to be able to reach you know financial independence and so they get paralyzed and they don't take action and so i think the millennial population is a great population to serve because it can be inspiring like you still have time to retire even early if you buckle down and make some decisions like You have time to retire early still. Also, we all grew up in a time where we didn't have the same kind of access to information that younger people have now. There's a lot of data on how many younger women are investing because there's, you know, they're learning about investing on TikTok and Instagram, and we didn't have, we weren't exposed to any of that. So I think the millennial population is suffering from some really challenging economic conditions, right? Like, Most of them graduated into a recession or lived through a recession or were starting their career at the beginning of a recession. So now we're talking about inflation and prices are crazy. So I think that population has, at the same time, unique challenges based on economic factors out of our control, but also is a perfect time to turn it around and really get ahead financially in a way that I think a lot of people that age don't think they can if they feel like they're behind. So- That's why I serve that population for for all those reasons.
1: Let's talk about this process of turning things around. One of the problems when I started learning about my finances is I just thought it was going to be too difficult and too time-consuming. In fact, it was the main reason that I'm like, I'm a doctor. I don't have time for this. I'm going to let a financial advisor do everything. I'm just going to hire the right person and push it off on them. That's obviously the wrong approach. I, I found that out myself. So if someone is listening right now, maybe they're in their 30s and 40s, maybe they're older and they're starting to say, well, clearly I need to do something differently. How many hours do you think your average person needs to invest a month to start getting a hold of your finances? Because I know this was a major misconception for me.
0: It's a great question, Doc. And I agree. That is the number one thing that I hear that holds people back is that they don't have enough time to learn. I think that a better approach rather than picking like an amount of time per month is committing to an educational opportunity. And then from there taking some action. What I mean by that is reading a book in a short amount of time about beginner investing, something super simple, or taking a program or a course that's like four weeks long or something like that, where you can learn the basics of financial foundations, learn the basics of budgeting, understand cash flow, understand basic things like how to calculate your net worth if you're not doing that, that kind of stuff, and then how to create a simple investment portfolio. And all of that you can do in a couple of weeks. That doesn't take a long time. So I would say, I don't know, if I had to put a number on it, I'd say if you committed for a month that you were going to spend two hours on Saturdays learning a little bit about how to manage your money, and investing and setting. more importantly than all of that, setting some actual goals. right? Because I think that's the biggest piece a lot of people miss is they want to fix their financial situation, but they don't know to what end. And it's very hard to be motivated if you don't know where you're headed. So I would say the first thing would be, and this is actually the exact structure of how I work with women, is the first thing we do is figure out where you want to go. How much money do you want to have in retirement? What are your short-term goals? Then we can say, okay, what's your cash flow? This is how much money is coming in. This is how much money is coming out. That could be in second week. A third week could be identifying areas to reduce your spending or increase your income. And then the third and fourth week could be figuring out which retirement accounts are going to help you save on taxes, which are a lot of accounts you you might already have, like 401ks, IRAs, whatever. And then the last one is learning how to choose simple portfolios, usually like index-based portfolios. Like That whole process Doesn't have to take more than a month, quite honestly. And that's where a financial coach can be helpful because they can give you that framework to say, okay, in the next like four to six weeks, here's what we're going to do. And by the end of this, you're going to know how to open up your own investment account and figure out how much you need to be investing for your goals. That doesn't take that much time at all. And then once you've done that, once you have that like baseline foundation education, then if you spend... A little bit of time per week, you know, subscribe to a money podcast, listen to that once a week. It doesn't take a lot to make huge changes in your financial life. But I do think some kind of like initial focused education is going to be really valuable versus like, you know, an hour a month or here or there, like really deciding what you want to learn and then, and what your goals are. And then from there, choosing some kind of formalized, simple education to get you going.
1: It's an interesting question because I think a lot of people, when you say, okay, get some education, maybe get a simple book, et cetera, be like, okay, I can, I can do that. The next step though, hiring a financial coach, or even at some point getting to a financial advisor means that you're going to have to expend some money. So I think a lot of people struggle with when am I ready or when am I at that point? Like, when is it just, okay, teach yourself a little, learn a little bit, start listening to podcasts and blogs versus when it's like, okay you probably will benefit from having a financial coach it's time to to invest a little in in getting some more knowledge and help
0: i would i could answer that that question in two ways so one way i would say is if you're thinking about this from a debt perspective and you want to get out of debt quickly that's a good time to to hire a financial coach. I don't actually do that. There are financial coaches that focus on de- debt payoff strategies. That's not so, that's not what I focus on. So for me, I specifically w- want to find women that don't have any debt that are doing some investing but are nervous about retirement and aren't aren't sure they're on the right track. The real answer to your question is as soon as possible, right? Like The trigger should be before you even have your first investment, before you have your 401k, ideally you understand what your money is invested in, but that's an ideal state that doesn't really exist. So I would say the moment that you're thinking about it probably is the trigger that you need to go find somebody. Because if you're thinking about it, that means that there is some knowledge gap and you want to find somebody to help you figure out how to fill that knowledge gap. If If you're sitting there like, Asking yourself any money question that you really don't know the answer. You know, am I on track to retire early? Do I have enough money invested? What am I invested in? Any of those are questions that you should definitely find somebody to help you with because the sooner you do, the sooner you're going to benefit from the optimization of those accounts. And I think this is one thing where, you know, a lot of your listeners are very financially savvy, right? So I think it's really important to encourage people, even if they're doing pretty well, to understand that. Small tweaks in how you approach your money make huge differences, right? We don't all sit around doing compound interest math, but you know, anyone with a 401k that's sitting there going, "Hmm, I wonder like how my 401k is invested. Like you should figure that out ASAP because that's going to make a massive difference in your retirement if you're invested in high fee funds. So it's a tough question, Doc, because I think at any point in your financial journey, it could be worth it. You know, there's a lot of people making $250. Per month and living paycheck or sorry two fifty a year two thousand fifty a year and living paycheck to paycheck the for those people that are in debt that are living paycheck to paycheck they should spend five thousand dollars on a budget coach to help them figure that out right like if they get that under control they're going to be able to invest five thousand a month potentially in a very short amount of time so it's tough to say like when that trigger is but what i think is most important and the and the biggest way i could probably simplify this is at any point if there are questions and knowledge gaps with your money like it's your money you've got to figure it out rather than putting it off or being paralyzed by decision making and i think that's what we need to do for the next generation is normalize those conversations like as soon as you have that moment where you're wondering what to do that's a moment where you need to go find someone to help you and there's so many resources out there so it's kind of a roundabout answer to your question, but that's a tough one.
1: <laughs> you mentioned here and there in this conversation that you have some flaffy financial advisors that you really like to work with. How do you know when it's time that you kind of that not only financial coaching but you need a financial advisor as well or or who do you tend to refer to financial advisors specifically?
0: That's a great question, so I'd say most of the time. My opinion on this, and I'll say my opinion, there are certainly multiple opinions on this, but my opinion is that the vast majority of people can very easily learn how to manage their own money with a with an index portfolio and some budgeting tools. I would say that times when I refer people to a financial advisor would be if somebody is close to retirement and needs help with drawdown strategies, that's a big one, right? Because you can really benefit from some help there. I would say if you Absolutely are just terrified of the market and you're going to pull your money out and you need like supervision to make sure that you don't pull your money out of the market. That would be another time. And I I think that if if you are somebody that really wants that, you know, regular check in comprehensive plan and that's going to make you feel better. Then that's also fine, too. I would say, you know, most of the women I work with that go through my program, they end up doing it on their own. Some of them check in with me. You know, I have options for them to do that if they want. And I think most of them will be fine on their own and they'll continue to educate themselves. And a lot of them like to. Once they learn the basics, they're like, oh, this is actually like fun to learn about. This isn't as scary as I thought. But there are certain people and certain situations. If you're if your situation is super complex, perhaps you have multiple retirement accounts, you're switching jobs, and you have like an inherited IRA. If you just have a lot of moving pieces, that could be a great time to talk to a flat fee financial advisor that can give you some specific advice. I definitely think there are situations for it, but I do time and time again come back to the flat fee model because if you if you want to go that route and you need somebody to help you figure out your situation. It'll be super transparent how much you're paying them, and then you can work with them to figure out what kind of cadence you want to work with them on. And that just seems so fair, and there's no conflict of interest, and they're really just going to help you figure out what's going to be best for you.
1: Well, Tess, I want to thank you for coming on the show. A main reason for having you on is I really wanted to draw this line between what a financial coach does and what a financial advisor does, and also... Maybe elucidate this idea that at least when it comes to accumulation, we're not talking about decumulation, we're not talking about retirement planning, but when it comes to accumulation, the financial advice is not particularly difficult. Knowing what to invest in and how is something that's eminently learnable and actually pretty easy. But what's really hard is deciding that you can do this, taking action, and having someone support you and get you to the place where you need to be so that you can then make those investments. And I think that very much is what a financial coach does. I want to end this episode the way and every episode by letting people know how to get in touch with you if they want to learn more. Tess, what's the best way for people to reach out to you?
0: The best way for people to reach out to me is just via email, tess at moneyconfidentcoach.com. And you can email me anytime. I'm all, if you are on Instagram, I'm also on Instagram at wealth with Tess, but that is the best way to get in touch with me. Happy to answer any questions and and point in the right direction if it's me or somebody else.
1: Well, Tess from wealth with Tess. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Doc. I appreciate it. I really enjoyed this conversation and I love your podcast.
1: That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. I'm not saying that you shouldn't get a financial advisor. But I am saying that the necessity for one at the beginning of your career, at the beginning of your accumulation phase, is probably not as important. I guess I see it in two ways. If you are looking at the accumulation stage, if you are building up wealth, if you are investing for the long term, it is really easy to go out there and teach yourself. Read a few books, read a few blogs within a month or two you will know how to invest wisely and reasonably for the long term. It might be a three fund portfolio. It might be VTSAX only. It might be all sorts of possibilities. But the idea is broad based index investing with low fees over a long period of time. Anyone can do this. You don't need a financial advisor to tell you how to do that. Now, it is true. That you may have trouble getting started. You may feel like you need support. You may get queasy when the stock market goes down and panic sell. If that's the case, then you probably don't need a financial advisor. You probably need a financial coach. And I think this is the distinction we've been trying to draw with this episode the difference between a financial advisor and a financial coach is that there is no fiduciary standard the way there is with financial advice. But like Tess mentioned, it's really hard to know what that means anymore. Some people are fiduciary in one aspect and not in the other. But a financial coach, you can pay for a piecemeal service, or you can take a course of theirs and they can teach you a defined bit of knowledge that will help you. And they're really good, especially if you need that extra bit of emotional strength when it comes to the ups and downs of the market. What we're talking about here is the accumulation phase. And I want to be clear about this because the story changes. I assume you're in your accumulation phase mostly in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, but after you hit about your 50s and 60s, the story changes because then you're preparing for decumulation, you're preparing for retirement, and everything flips here. Now, when you get to the point where you're thinking about decumulating, where you're starting to think about social security, when you might have eventually required minimum distributions, all of this stuff gets super, super complicated. And this is when having a financial advisor, having financial advice can be extremely important and exceedingly helpful. So things really switch as you move from accumulation to decumulation. That is the time that it's very reasonable to pay for financial advice because the decisions are much more difficult, right? In accumulation, all you had to worry about is, what do I put my money in long-term where it's going to grow appropriately? But once you hit decumulation, there are all sorts of issues with taxes and which accounts you draw from first and how to manage required minimum distributions and minimize them so you don't have to pay the full brunt of taxes. Here's where things really get complicated. And in fact, a lot of people I know in the financial advice world still feel like they need help when it comes to decumulation. So I deal with a lot of content producers every day, people who study this stuff ad nauseum, and yet when it comes to decumulation, most of them actually hire someone to help them. And the good news is there are a lot of practices out there that stress drawdown strategies and decumulation and have advanced knowledge of the tax consequences, etc. So this is something you can do. And I'm not saying all financial advice is bad. I'm just saying that we need to be aware of how and when we need it. And the reason is financial advice is expensive. It costs money, especially if you're using assets under management. When you get to the point where you have a lot of money, everything costs quite a bit. And you don't want to be saddled with huge fees. Nothing will eat away at your savings more than paying big fees for financial advice or paying big fees on funds. So there you have it. Financial advisors have their place. Financial coaches have their place. And there is room for the do-it-yourselfer who wants to learn by themselves. But I'll warn you, doing it yourself at the end of your accumulation phase, when you're starting to get to decumulation can be very difficult. And the chance of making a misstep is really great. So I really enjoyed this episode with Tess. And I really think that it helped us draw the distinction of when you need financial advice and when you need financial coaching. Hopefully you will be able to find each of them when they fit your needs best. Awesome. I leave things running just for a few minutes to catch whatever we chat about afterwards. Anything we didn't talk about, about financial coaching or what you do that that you'd like to be out there?
0: Um, I don't think so. I feel like we've, I mean, I even went through kind of like the four steps, which I didn't, I don't always like do that. So I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I have a, like, a lead magnet, but I just don't feel like that's appropriate for your audience just based on like the type of people listening, which is why I just shared my email instead. Um, so usually I share that, but I don't think that makes sense. I don't think so. I thought it was a great conversation. I like this conversation, I think it's so important, and I've been having it a lot lately with people. So,
1: yeah, and I really, and I even did this in my intro, I'm very, very careful as I talked about at the end, and which you also brought up too, is where this is really an accumulation conversation. I think people yes. need. Financial coaching for decumulation, too, but I think you actually need financial advisors for that, which don't necessarily have to be your typical, you know, stockbroker types, but more retirement planners. Um, yeah, Because that's a whole different game. Like how to invest to accumulate is really straightforward in my yes, opinion.
0: Yes, yes. But how let-
1: to plan tax planning and decumulation and having enough cash flow and all those things, that gets progressively. Uh, difficult and you need experts for that or or it would really help to have experts
0: for that. I 100% agree with that, especially because the laws around how you can withdraw are always changing too and tax laws are always changing too. It's kind of like if you have any kind of complex situation, you probably need a good accountant or even not complex. Even if you just have a couple different sources of income, you need a good accountant. I couldn't agree more that When it comes to that piece, because that piece can be really complex and there can be ways to really benefit from a tax professional during that time as well. So, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's really important.
1: You were really good about talking about kind of when I was asking about people's in their 30s and 40s, you're talking about millennials and other special considerations. You know, the corollary to that or the other question to ask, which I didn't, is are millennials screwed? Like, have millennials been (laughs) handed... A, a bad situation or a worse situation. Do you have any thoughts about that just personally? Like is part of the reason why you work with people in the 30s and 40s is it's just a really hard age with what kind of how things have turned out during the last few decades?
0: Yes, I think that's a big part of it. And I think that I've had. I've had a lot of privilege because of athletics and not having student loan debt, and I've had. Not really privileged, but I haven't had kids, so I haven't had those expenses. And I invested in real estate 10 years ago, so I accidentally had all these benefits that I never realized I would have just kind of by accident. You know, I didn't know what was going to happen to the real estate market, and I didn't understand how incredibly impactful student loans are for your future and how expensive kids are, and now. You know, I'm in my mid 30s and I've watched my peers go through this incredibly hard time. And it's so, so in opposition to what my life has looked like. And so I think part of it is just seeing that difference between how my life has has the trajectory of my life and then the trajectory of really smart talented people seemingly doing all the right things and having such a hard time getting ahead it is hard for millennials no doubt about it and and i do say this all the time and i and i try to approach all the financial coaching with as much empathy as possible because most of us didn't get this education when we should have and now we're in this tough position where we're lacking some knowledge and it's really hard to get ahead in this economy, especially if you're in that age bracket, trying to pay for kids, trying to pay off your student loans and trying to buy a house. It's, it's, it can feel really impossible, but at the same time, it might not be our fault, but it's still our responsibility. So it's not like we can sit and complain about it. And I, and that's what, what I share on my workshops. And anytime I'm talking to women in my small group coaching, I, I say, look, this sucks. Like this is not easy. I'm no one's gonna pull the wool over your eyes here and tell you that, you know, this is all your fault because you bought a bunch of pumpkin spice lattes and that's why you're poor. <laughs> like, that's not it. <laughs> it's definitely hard. But at the end of the day, it kind of doesn't matter. Like we can only control what we can control. And that's what I love so much about what I do now is that at the end of of the time I work with with women. And again, most most of my programs are month long. It's it's four weeks of uh just deep dive into your cash flow, any limiting beliefs holding you back, retirement accounts and, and simple portfolios. And just understanding those few things creates such a good feeling of empowerment and reduction of anxiety to help them make better financial situations. And the reduction of anxiety is my favorite outcome of building financial knowledge because it can help you make better decisions in your entire life and help you with decision fatigue and all that. So... Yeah, I do think millennials are in in some ways definitely uniquely challenged, but it's also like, okay, we have to figure it out anyway. So That's it. <laughs>
1: awesome. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean piles, and I host Nerd Wallets, Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more and they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of
0: places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlaz,